Welcome back to the Bitcoin Layer. I'm Nick Batia. Today we are pleased to have Dan Roberts. He is the CEO of Iris Energy. Dan, thank you for coming on the Bitcoin Layer. Nick, absolute pleasure. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. Dan, we met in Australia. That was a fantastic time at Peter McCormick's event. I want to have you on today to discuss your company and your strategy. We know that you are operating data centers off of renewable energy, and you have this decision to make Bitcoin mining or AI cloud services, including running NVIDIA chips and performing generative AI cloud services. So Dan, talk to us about your company, Iris Energy. Give us an overview. What are your operations like? Absolutely. So first of all, Nick, um, we've rebranded as of last Thursday. We are no longer Iris Energy. We are now simply Iron. Uh, so you can see the new merch. We'll have to get you some sent. So it's Iron now. Um, same business, same name, uh, same goals, just a different name, something fresher, a little bit more aligned with our, our outlook. So yeah, as you say, um, Iron's got um, five sites um, across North America and we're pursuing both Bitcoin and AI. And to be honest, the only decision to date is whether or not to pursue both. Um, and we are. We, we believe that both represent exponential macro tailwinds as we forecast out another 10, 15 years. And to be on the right side of those tailwinds is something that's really exciting for our business. And ultimately owning the infrastructure, the land, data centers that are optimized specifically for this type of power dense computing, we think is a great um, opportunity to really get exposure to both of these exciting industries. The Bitcoin layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you go sign up. Now, River is a Bitcoin-only exchange. That means there's no confusion when you go there. They allow you to deposit and withdraw via Lightning Network. They have a zero-fee recurring purchase order feature. And what we love the most about River is not only do they encourage you to get self-custody, but they're there to help educate you on self-custody and everything there is to know about Bitcoin. Go check them out today, river.com slash TBL. So you are engaged in the search for excess power that is of the renewable variety. And you believe that this is a race to grab not only the land, but the power generation contracts involved with this chase. And out of that chase, you can extract value through mining Bitcoin or by performing generative AI cloud services. So talk to us about that race for renewable energy powered or excess renewable energy. Absolutely. Um, five years ago, uh, a little bit longer, when we set up this business, um, our thesis was all about the increased digitization of society. We were all going online. The demand for computing power was not going away and was likely to grow in an exponential fashion. So our seed deck 
uh, for investors spoke about AI, machine learning, data analytics, Bitcoin mining. Our belief is over the next decade, 20 years, the demand for computing power, uh, ultimately driven by energy and electricity, is not going away. In fact, it, it, it's going to be extreme. So for us, the strategy was, well, the demand's going to be there. You know, we believe in the future of Bitcoin. We believe in the future of AI. We believe in the future of these other power-dense computing applications. What are the key issues involved? And for us, it was a couple of things. One, traditional data centers are not, not optimized for these applications. They're typically located in capital city locations, you know, beholden to local power prices, capital city real estate, but they're also optimized for very different applications, lifetime cloud computing, you know, hospital, government, corporate, mission critical systems, really low latency, high reliability, very different objectives. Whereas for us, it's just raw computing power using 100% renewable energy. So going to the source of that low cost excess renewables and using that to drive computing power into this new age. So in terms of the energy strategy specifically, it's all about targeting low cost excess renewable energy. So in my previous uh, professional career, I was <clears throat> one of the largest shareholders in an infrastructure funds management business. We grew to $6 billion of assets under management, a large portion of which related to wind farms, solar farms, and other energy assets. And we saw firsthand what government incentives were doing in terms of promoting the build out of renewable energies in markets where A, there was no demand signal, i.e. the market wasn't demanding, by definition, you needed a subsidy to do it. But then the subsequent destruction of equilibrium in those energy markets, because when the wind blew, the sun shined, there was plenty of electrons. But when it stopped, all of a sudden there was not. And traditional baseload generation didn't have the flexibility to sit alongside it. So we've seen the disruption in energy markets. So our ability to go into these areas of high renewable penetration mop up that energy while it's cheap, sometimes negatively priced, but also often demand response and like demand side battery services where we give power back to the market has been a really important hallmark of our strategy. So when you look at our energy strategy holistically in the context of these exponential demand markets that we're targeting around Bitcoin and AI, we believe that over the next decade, if you can secure and manage large amounts of power and do so in a sustainable and socially acceptable manner, then there's an enormous prize to be won. Now, I want viewers to stay tuned. We're going to ask Dan about the NVIDIA chips versus the Bitcoin mining ASICs. We're gonna get, get into all of that, but I wanna go one step at a time. We're talking about excess renewable energy first. So you guys have three facilities in British Columbia they are all powered by hydro. So talk to us about the talk to us about the Canadian facilities. Uh, talk to us about how they're set up. What type of machines you have in those uh, facilities as well, please. Absolutely. So ninety eight percent of the British Columbia electricity network is renewables. We then buy renewable energy certificates for the balance of the 2%. So we are 100% renewable energy 
in British Columbia. We've got three sites, uh, Canal Flats, Prince George and Mackenzie for any Canadians uh, listening in. And that's an aggregate of 160 megawatts. Uh, the first site, Canal Flats, has been operating for a number of years now. And Prince George and Mackenzie have come online in the last couple of years. So 160 megawatts uh, sitting here today, they're fully utilised, uh, running a combination of S19J Pros from Bitmain and then NVIDIA H100 GPUs servicing generative AI. And can you can you speak to the split of the machines or and how you made the decision in terms of uh, you, you, you mentioned at the beginning that your company and in its vision sees the demand for raw computing power to continue to increase. And in that regard, you have both types of machines in the facilities to to hedge as a business strategy that you're not just a Bitcoin miner, right? You, you guys are a data, sen data center operator. And so talk to us a little bit more about that decision between the two machines. How do you make that split? And, and does one, uh, is there a trade-off throughout the day, throughout the week between those machines in the facility? Absolutely. And look, this is part of the thesis. We're not Bitcoin mining or crypto miners. We're not doing sea cans in the middle of the desert, shipping containers, old warehouses. From day one, we have constructed and designed purpose-built data centers, long-term buildings, which are optimized for power-dense computing applications. ASICs for Bitcoin mining, GPUs for generative AI, and who knows what lies ahead in terms of future applications uh, that there will be demand for. In terms of the decision to allocate, we haven't had a decision in terms of opportunity cost. We're running full throttle at both segments. So our plan is to reach 20 exahash of Bitcoin mining capacity over the next nine to 10 months by the end of the year. We've invested substantial time and money, particularly in our Texas facility, to give us the ability to scale quickly when the market turns. The market has turned, particularly for Bitcoin. It was $16,000 12, 15 months ago. It's now over 50,000. All of a sudden, all that time, effort, energy, expense that we invested ahead of the curve has set us up brilliantly for a really quick, quick scaling process. So 20 exahash alone will take us to one of the largest standalone Bitcoin mining businesses listed on the NASDAQ. Then in parallel, we've got the opportunity to continue growing our AI cloud services business. We're now up to 816 GPUs, which at $2.50 a GPU hour will deliver somewhere between 15 and $20 million a year in annualized revenue once they come online. As and when we see customers continue to demand this compute, we've got the ability to continue buying continue growing that side of the business. But sitting here today, we were at 248 GPUs. That capacity got snapped up really quickly by an AI company called Poolside, P-O-O-L-S-I-D-E. Off the back of demand for that capacity, we immediately tripled. Again, once we place the additional capacity when it arrives over the next few months, if that all goes to plan, we will again, again grow quickly. So there's no opportunity cost. There's no decision between Bitcoin mining versus AI. 
um, it's a great problem to have where you're at the, you know, exposed to two kind of macro tailwinds and the ability to build into both markets. But Dan, there still is there still has to be a decision made in terms of which machines to buy at the margin at the next and when you're planning out the square footage of the facility. So maybe in your current facilities, you have it you have it set up in a way where you have your capacity for each. But in future facilities, you will have to make economic decisions. What is that? What is that profit analysis like? How do you think about the project finance? Give us a little bit of insight. We are a Bitcoin focused uh, research provider, right? And so when we think about NVIDIA, we're not thinking about the profitability of, of NVIDIA or the PE ratio of NVIDIA's stock, which as we know is astronomical, but it's not, it's not in our necessary in our, in our research wheelhouse to examine that sort of thing. What we are curious about is Bitcoin mining from a macro perspective. You are a corporation with a balance sheet, the ability to fund your projects via debt and capital, uh, sorry, debt and equity capital markets. And that gives you a unique position. So we want to know a little bit more about this AI boom that we, uh, we observe from afar and the Bitcoin mining boom, which we are we are witness to, right? We're at, we are a front seat. So you give us a unique insight. So we want to know a little bit more about that economic calculation between the two, even though we understand that you're in your strategy, you are going forth with both of these uh, approaches. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll know from our time in Sydney together, there's uh, very few that are, are more bullish and optimistic about the application of Bitcoin and, and where we're going um, with that asset. Um, but at risk of, I guess, deflecting and kicking the decision down the road, there is no decision today um, because we're able to do both in parallel as quickly as we can. Um, but you're absolutely right. At some point, there's likely to be a decision, potentially an opportunity cost, but it's very difficult to forecast the conditions in which that decision will be made. Sitting here today, you can buy these NVIDIA chips. We're earning a circa 24-month payback on the chips. So what's that? 45, 50% annualized yield. Bitcoin mining rigs, you're earning 12, 24-month paybacks, uh, depending on how you account for hash rate, Bitcoin price, etc. Um, so when you account for the volatility of Bitcoin mining, the upside, the downside, the asymmetry between the two, um, how the market then recognises AI or rewards AI type revenues versus Bitcoin mining on the capital market side, access to debt, etc. You can see that the whole equation becomes a little bit more multidimensional. Um, but again, I'm glad we don't need to make the decision today. It's something that we can keep monitoring the market. If investors really start appreciating AI and offering us really attractive capital products to scale that up, you know, GPU asset finance, bonds, etc., then obviously that's a market signal and we're here to make our shareholders money. So we will jump on it, but it's very hard to forecast a world where we're not also going very aggressively into Bitcoin mining, given our outlook on the underlying commodity. Well, Dan, I appreciate you classifying your answer as a little bit of a deflection, but it's not because you gave us really important information here. And I want to recap that for the audience. The information Dan is giving us is that, both NVIDIA purchases and ASIC mining purchases 
are profitable endeavors. They both have a payback period of about two years. And that even though the payback period might be greater or less in either of the two, they are somewhat equitable enough for that to proceed on both strategies without much discernment between the two, as long as you have customers, as long as you have the ability to profit. Of course, it's going to depend on uh, a lot of additional factors. I want to hear more about GPU asset finance. So if does this mean that you are able to finance the purchases of your NVIDIA chips in debt capital markets in, a, in an advantageous way for your capital structure? Can you explain to us what you mean by that? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways to think about capital structure. Um, I think if we start with a pure play Bitcoin mining business, um, most of us are now very familiar with the limitations around capital structure opportunities there, the volatility of Bitcoin, what we've seen over the last couple of years with some companies entering Chapter 11. It is very challenging to get debt funding purely for a Bitcoin mining model. Um, when you overlay an additional income stream, AI or other, and you diversify your earnings base, all of a sudden that's a very different proposition from a non-equity provider of capital, debt or anything in, in between. So I think that's the first thing. So that opens up conversations around kind of corporate bonds and, and other top co-funding instruments. Um, but to your point around GPU financing, if you look at AI as a standalone business, so you've got Iron as the group business, which is multifunctional data centers servicing uh, multiple sectors. If you then look at one of those sectors being AI and the GPUs, then is there funding available uh, for that business on a standalone basis? And the simple answer is looking at market precedence, yes. Um, we've seen deals announced by the likes of CoreWeave where they've secured extremely large you know, billion dollar plus facilities where security is given to those lenders over the GPUs. Um, so the ability to unlock lower cost of capital, use that funding to scale up the business, um, perhaps use other types of funding into the Bitcoin side of the business in parallel, it is obviously something that we're very aware of and very excited about. So you're operating with an additional collateral base with your NVIDIA chips, and that's a position that a pure play Bitcoin miner not might not have. Uh, so talk to us about then the other side of it. When you're mining Bitcoin, uh, how do you guys treat that from a business strategy perspective? Is it uh, in one door and right out the other? Do you have a, a hedging strategy? Or talk to us about how you work with the Bitcoin that you earn. Absolutely. So we liquidate our Bitcoin daily for cash. Um, use that cash to pay our power bill and then pocket the rest as profit um, at the moment to reinvest in the business, whether that's AI or Bitcoin. Over time, it might be uh, returned to shareholders. Um, but our belief since day one has been that shareholders should not be paying me and us to hold Bitcoin on their behalf. That's not what we're here for. That's not our value add. Our specialty is 
building, owning and operating multifunctional data centers and deploying computing into Bitcoin AI and other applications. And that's how we will generate returns for shareholders. I would rather give the cash back to shareholders and then they can choose to buy Bitcoin with that. Uh, there's additional layers to it. If I hold Bitcoin, where am I going to put it? Uh, custodians have been a real challenge over the last year or two. And then when you look at the onset of ETFs, the ease of trading in and out, the cost of accessing management fees in those ETFs, there's a clear product available for those who wish to have a pure Bitcoin exposure in their portfolio. Why would we pollute that and make that more complex um, by adding that element to our underlying business? I think it's an important distinction. So thank you for explaining that to us. Now, Dan, what do you think when you hear the word Bitmain? Is it something that gives you a worry? Talk to us about your exposure to Bitmain. You mentioned that you guys are using S19s. Look, I'm not going to lie. The first time we sent a few million dollars to Bitmain in China um, four or five years ago, it, it was nervous. Push a button, there goes the cash. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a different way of operating. It's you know cross countries, cross cultures. Um, but all I can say is they are a sensational partner. Um, I understand they cop a little bit of flack from time to time with people in the industry, but I have not got a single bad word to say about them. Um, the level of service, uh, the transparency around rig pricing. Um, how we interact with them, deliveries, selection of underlying units in terms of specific hash rate per model, the quantities, delivery timetables, post-market service. Um, they're a very well-run company. And I think importantly, their attitude has always been one that exhibits a clear long-term preference in terms of time. So yes, they're here to make money, but you can see their behaviour is always focused on the future and both supporting the industry, supporting Bitcoin, supporting their customers in a way that will ultimately make them money. But it's not about near-term profit maximisation. It's very much a long-term lens that we see in it. And you must have to explain to your shareholders uh, a material risk there in terms of having one supplier of Bitcoin miners. So how do you think long-term about that, even though it might not be a, a risk that you choose to address today or that you view as uh, an imminent threat? Yeah, look, um, key supplier risk is an issue. And, you know, if Bitmain was the only supplier, that would be an issue. If Bitmain disappeared tomorrow, um, that would be an issue. So having multiple suppliers, multiple people servicing the industry is a good thing. Um, we look at risk through different lenses. We look at credit risk. How much capital have we got outstanding to Bitmain against contracts um, like any supplier? What's the risk of default? What happens in the event of default? What's our overlying, underlying exposure? So that needs to be carefully managed. In terms of the units themselves, when you're dealing with new generations of technology, that's obviously something that needs to be risk-weighted. So where we can, we test units. Over time, Bitmain have definitely proven um, reliability with future generations. So there is a level of confidence you can take. Um, it's not binary either. You know, it's a, a spectrum of performance and reliability, etc. So you're not exposed to ones and zeros in terms of risk. 
But ultimately, once you've got these units, once they're installed, they're kind of there. We repair everything in-house. Um, we've got the ability to manage it all in-house at risk of making it sound too simple. It's a bit like if you go to a local store and buy cutlery and you put it in the drawer. You're not worried that you got it all from the same supplier. You've got it. It works. If something happened to break and you needed to fix it, you just fix it. Excellent. And so let's move back to NVIDIA for a second. Your GPUs that are doing generative AI, those GPUs that you're operating, how do you view the competition in your sector with having this holistic data center on renewable, renewable energy footprint? My question is, your position here as a Bitcoin miner slash AI cloud computer, that position gives you probably a unique standing in the industry versus your AI competitors, the generative AI competitors. So talk to us about that. How does Bitcoin mining make you a better generative AI service provider? Yeah, it's a good question. There's probably two answers to this, uh, two reasons why. One is we are experts in managing power-dense compute. Um, and to boil it down to numbers, historically, we've been managing 70 to 80 kilowatt rack density for our ASICs. GPUs require around 40, 45 kilowatts per rack. So well and truly within the envelope of our power density, and that goes back to both electrical infrastructure as well as ventilation and cooling. For comparison, traditional data centers are often challenged around five to 15 kilowatt or optimized for five to 15 kilowatt racks. So you now look at the challenge of them having to install 40 kilowatt racks, you know, three to four times the rack density, all of a sudden you've got significant challenges. I mean, I was over on the West Coast uh, just before Christmas and a data center operator described it to me and said, in order to install these NVIDIA GPUs, we need to clear out a whole room full of traditional data center compute, install these NVIDIA chips in the corner, and then we've got room for a five-a-side soccer pitch next to it because that's how they manage the power. Um, so there's a clear advantage um, in terms of how we've configured those data centers and the power density of them. And, and it gives it, the other aspect is we've got scale. We've got 200 megawatts operating. You know, every hundred million dollars that we invest in GPUs is roughly four to five megawatts of power. So we've got an enormous runway to scale in an industry that is capacity constrained because of this growth, because of the configuration of traditional data centers. And then the final point is cost. We're able to compete on price because we're not trying to be everything to everyone. We're not offering diverse compute and technical solutions. We are a one trick pony in some sense. We are very good at providing power dense compute and cloud applications. We're not trying to bundle all this other stuff on top and configure our internal infrastructure and technology stack to be flexible and to cater for all of that. And as a result, our price point is substantially lower than a lot of other companies in this sector 
but still delivering us with that 24-month type payback on the chips. It's a fascinating approach. Uh, Dan, I want to ask you next about the Bitcoin ASICs that you have. You mentioned the, the density, the rack density that you're working with. Talk to us about cooling. Uh, talk to us about air cooling versus other options. How are you thinking about the next generation of Bitcoin mining? Yeah, look, as we've spoken about, we've developed these multifunctional power-dense data centers um, over the last five and a bit years, and it's all been developed and designed in-house with a single purpose. How do you manage power-dense compute in the most optimal fashion? And air cooling is where we're at. Um, we operated last summer in 110 degree Fahrenheit temperatures with our hash rate just running perfectly for Bitcoin mining. So we're not affected by temperatures the same way as other technologies. And to give, to give you some comparisons, if you jam these computers into sea cans or shipping containers, every time the ambient temperature hits, you know, high 20s, 30 degrees Celsius, the computers choke on themselves, they shut down. This is partly why I suspect you see the hash rate soften during North American summer because a lot of these facilities cannot handle the heat so they've got to switch off um, you've then got immersion cooling solutions and i understand why companies choose to look at immersion um, sweeping the heat off the chips is more efficient using liquid rather than air but the challenge is a number of these you've got to do something with that fluid how do you cool it down and you've in these closed loop systems you're sending this hot fluid outside using all these pumps and moving parts to do so. And in many facilities, they're just blowing ambient air onto the fluid to try and cool it down before then taking it back to the chip. So as the temperature in an ambient sense goes up, it gets exponentially harder and more expensive to try and sweep this heat outside of that fluid. You could contrast that, and I'm no engineer or technical guy, but Conceptually, think about a design that instead pulls air in one side, air brushes through the ASICs or the GPUs, pulls off the heat, exhausts that heat directly into the atmosphere, never to be seen again. It's very hard to understand how uh, liquid immersion or liquid cooling could ever be more efficient than that. But look, we'll, we'll keep playing around, we'll keep researching, uh, we'll keep doing R&D, and if there's a better way, we'll absolutely look to do it. Well, absolutely. Now, if I if I heard you right, you're heading for about 20x a hash. That could put you at 3 4% of the mining on the Bitcoin network. Does that sound about right? And how do you think about heading toward that number becoming you know one of the major players on the planet? Yeah, look, it, it's very process driven for us. Uh, we've got an internal construction team, we've got a proven design, they build one building, they fit it out, they install the rigs, they move on to the next one. Um, it's as simple as that. We've got the power, we've got the land, we've got the infrastructure, we've got the teams on site, um, just punching out these data centers. So uh, you can expect to see over the next nine to 10 months, we're currently at six exahash a very consistent um, increase uh, towards that 20 exahash by the end of the year. 
And talk to us about Texas, the United States of America, legislation, regulation, the Texas energy grid, ERCOT. Give us a sense of how you think about operating in Texas, how you think about pro-Bitcoin policies at the state level versus what may be happening at a federal level. Uh, obviously, we're in the ground on the ground in the United States, but I'm, I'm interested to hear your perspective as a, a company that operates facilities in Texas. Mm. Um, look, there's a lot of chatter, right? There's a lot of narratives. There's a lot of different agendas from different groups. Um, at the end of the day, we know Bitcoin can be polarizing, particularly from people that don't understand it, um, who don't want to understand it, who are happy with the way things are. Um, in terms of Texas specifically, it's a great place to do business. Things are fast, things are efficient, things are open, um, things are big. We've got 2000 megawatts of power there. Um, but importantly, it fits our objectives around locating stranded energy. So to give you one example, our first 600 megawatt site, uh, which we're building out at the moment, is located in a county called Childress up in the north, uh, close to the Panhandle. In that region, there's over 32 gigawatts of wind and solar. The transmission line capacity to export that down to Dallas, Houston, etc., is 12. So there's an enormous opportunity to mop up surplus power, low cost energy, and do so in a way that benefits our business. And I think we were talking about this in Australia. Uh, last August, uh, we mined Bitcoin at a negative $28,000 Bitcoin price because there was so much uh, disruption in the energy grid and we were able to support it and sell back expensive power to lower our overall cost of power. Dan, what about the future facilities? I want to know what other countries you guys are looking at. You mentioned to me that you're, you, have, you have plans all, all over the place, but give us a sense, if you can even give us a, a continent or two that you're focused on when it comes to locating, as you say, stranded renewable energy where where is the gold mine and i know that i know that there are a bunch of options for you but i'm curious to know yeah look refer back to our earlier conversation around why we're doing this we believe the demand for renewable energy powered compute is only going one way over the next 10 to 15 years and we want to be a large part of um, playing a role in deploying that energy into next generation computing power. Um, so for us, it's where in the world is there excess renewable energy? Where have governments incentivized power to be built where it doesn't necessarily make sense? Where have other factors have arisen uh, that there's an oversupply of wind, solar, hydro, etc. Um, we, my brother and I, founders are Australian. Um, yeah, we haven't announced any sites in Australia, but that would be a guess. Um, and then you've got North America, you've got plenty of other markets. I, I think the, the clarification worth making is we are very much focused on institutional bankable jurisdictions. So we're not looking to take risk by going into countries that have got a little bit more political and market risk. Um, we're very much building a long-term 
business to focus on delivering a uh, quality solution both for customers of our facilities, but also institutional investors in our business on the NASDAQ. All right. Well, that sounds a lot like Australia and North America will continue to be the focus. Dan Roberts, CEO of Iron, thank you so much for joining us today. Please tell our audience where they can find you, your company, your information. Thanks, Dick. Uh, so you can find me and Iron on Twitter uh, as well as LinkedIn. And it was an absolute pleasure to join you today. All right. Thank you. And we'll catch you next time. The Bitcoin Layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you go sign up. Now, the reason that we love River is that they are a Bitcoin only exchange. There's no confusion when you go there on what you're buying. But really importantly about River is that they do not use a third party custodian. They have their own multi-signature solution. That means that when you buy Bitcoin on River, that Bitcoin is not being stored by another party. River is storing it in their own multi-signature way and they encourage you to get your Bitcoin into your own self-custody and help with educational resources on that front. Go check them out today, river.com slash TBL.